Our scripture today is from 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through 14. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 311 in the Old Testament. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left now, and they are trying to kill me. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left now, and they are trying to kill me too. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How do you know? How do you know when you're in the presence of God? Is it something you see? Is it something you hear? Is it something you feel? Something you sense in your soul? How do you know when you're in the presence of God? And what do you have to do in order to experience it? 
Maybe those are not the kinds of questions that we spend a lot of time thinking about week in and week out, but if pressed, if you had to explain to someone, how do you know that God is near, what would you say to them? I once had a conversation with a middle schooler who had decided that all this faith stuff was not really their cup of tea. That's not what they said, cup of tea. That's not an eighth grade kind of expression, but that's what they meant. Maybe God is not real, he suggested to me. Hmm, that's an interesting idea, I said. Do do you think you have ever experienced the presence of God? Nope. I gotta tell you, I was a little stumped about what to say next. It did not help that I had the face of a skeptical eighth grader bearing down on me at that moment. But even with, without that, it's hard to just know in a moment abstractly what to say. This is how you definitively know you have felt the presence of God. <clears throat> if I had to use today's scripture as an example, I would need to say God is often to be found in ways we do not expect. We're hanging out again today with the prophet Elijah. And uh, last week we heard about how he started his prophetic career, how he confronted this terrible king of Israel, Ahab, and Elijah had to flee from Ahab's wrath because there was this drought, and on the run, Elijah ended up befriending a widow in Phoenicia, and God kept all of them alive with bread that lasted just long enough until it rained. Once that drought was over, Elijah returned to Israel, and he had this epic showdown with the, with the priests of Baal. That's a story that Pastor Bellarmi is going to get to talk about in two weeks on Pentecost, so hang on for that, though I am going to tell you a spoiler. Elijah wins, okay, in the big showdown. But even his, in victory, the king's wife, Jezebel, becomes enraged because it's her prophets that are shown up in that big contest. So she wants to kill Elijah, and Elijah has to flee again. He's once again on the run for his life. So he's coming off this massive victory, but he is in a horrible mood. I can't say that I'd be thrilled about running for my life either, but Elijah, he is really down. I mean, really. He makes his way to Judah, so he's in the southern kingdom, which means he's out of Jezebel's reach, but that doesn't even cheer him up. We read there in 1 Kings 19 that he sits down under a solitary broom tree or a big bush and tells God, I want to die. I am no better than my ancestors, he says. As in, I might as well be in the ground too. He's alone, he's exhausted, he's afraid, and he's depressed. This is God's mighty prophet, and he wants to give up, and he wants to give in. He wants his trial to be over, and he just tells God exactly how he's feeling, and then he falls asleep. And then God, just like last week, God provides for him. When Elijah wakes up, there is food for him to eat, and he falls asleep again. And then more food appears, and he eats again. So this is where I get to share with you one of my all-time favorite memes from the internet. We're going to see it on the screen. Oh, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad. I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you take a nap? So Elijah slept and ate and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. I mean, this is real, people. This is gospel right here. So keep that in mind this week. 
After taking God's food and God's rest, Elijah did get up and continued his journey up to Mount Horeb, which is another name in scripture for Mount Sinai. Okay, he's going to Sinai. So he's now at this place where Moses met with God face to face uh, when the Israelites were there wandering in the wilderness. And on that mountain, Elijah goes into a cave to spend the night. Or the scripture actually says into the cave in Hebrew. It's the cave. Perhaps they're meaning to, uh, the writer is meaning to suggest that this is the same place that Moses had in, hid in the cleft of the rock when God passed by in Exodus. So Elijah's there in the cave, and God asks him why he's there. And we see that Elijah's mood has actually not brightened that much. He says, I've done your work. I've defended your name. I've eliminated your enemies. I'm here alone, and they want to kill me. Elijah is not having a good time. So God says, get ready. I'm going to pass by. The first thing that I want us to notice in this story today is that for God to show up, we don't have to be in a good mood. God comes to Elijah when he is at his lowest. He's feeling pretty hopeless. He's not even sure that anything he's done for God has been worth it. And God responds by coming so close to him that only Moses could have claimed to have been nearer to God's holy presence. God doesn't need us to be in a good mood to come to us. God doesn't need us to do anything, actually. We don't have to pray in the right way. We don't have to have done giant feats of faithfulness. We don't have to be some kind of perfect holy or good. God comes to be near to us because that is what God wants to do. At a previous church I served, I used to lead this short Wednesday evening worship service that instead of a sermon, it had five minutes of silence. We simply sat together in silence for five whole minutes each week. It's harder than it sounds. I thought about trying it today, but we're not going to do it today, together. One day, after this woman had been coming to the worship service for months, she confessed to me that she did not know what to do with herself during that silence. She said, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be praying? I said, Kathy, you don't have to do anything. You just need to be open. You just need to be aware. You just need to be ready for the presence of God. God comes to us without us doing anything to deserve it. God does it because God wants to be with us. God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to love us. So God is present to us. We, we simply have to notice. So God tells Elijah to go to the front of the cave so he can see God pass by. And in ancient Israel, you know, no one was supposed to see God face to face. If you did that, they thought you would die. Moses came the closest of any human, but, God, but Moses only saw God from the backside. And most people believe that if you saw God's that close, like I said, you would die. And, and we kind of have that same belief today, right? Meeting God face to face is something we only expect to do after we die in eternal life. Well, Israelite religion was so intent on protecting God's holiness, so no one called God by God's name. No one ever went into the inner part of the temple where God's throne was, and no one expected to get very close to God's presence or see God pass by. So this was a huge honor for Elijah. He went there to the mouth of the cave. And I bet you know this part of the story almost by heart. First, there was a huge wind, so fierce that it was picking up boulders and smashing them against the side of the mountain. But that was not God's presence. Then there was a mighty earthquake. So all the ground around Elijah was shaking. 
but that was not God's presence either. Then there was this huge raging fire that swept past the cave, and this, like all the others, are ways that God could be expected to show up. In other places in the Bible, we find God in wind and in earthquake and in fire, and sometimes God does show up with a mighty show of force, but this time God was not in the fire either. And then after all that commotion, after all that noise, there was silence, quiet, gentle stillness. You might have heard it translated the sound of sheer silence or a gentle whisper, that kind of quiet that can only come after a great storm. And when Elijah heard that, he knew it was God. So he wrapped his face, because he still didn't want to see God face to face. He wrapped his face, and he went outside the, gate, the cave, and there God spoke to him again. Just imagine that moment for Elijah at the cave. Imagine that moment of stillness after this huge storm, this wind, this earthquake, this fire, a thunderstorm so fierce. He must have thought the mountain was going to split apart, and then nothing. stillness. I imagine all the hairs on his arms stood up. I imagine he shivered from head to toe to realize how close the holy presence of God was to him. I bet that moment of quiet was the, was the fullest, the deepest, the most holy moment of his whole life. Because, you know, ultimately there's things that just can't be communicated by noise. And that, that sounds kind of oxymoronic to say, but there are some things that you can't actually say by saying it. There are some things that can only be communicated by stillness and presence. Think about a moment when you were with someone you deeply love and, and you just witnessed together something beautiful and you reached over and you took their hand. You say so much by not saying anything as you soak in the goodness of that moment together. There are moments in our lives when quiet goes so much deeper than words. So God comes to Elijah in silence, which is really the most unexpected way for God to show up. We, we might often think that God so big, so powerful, is going to come in a mighty flash, in an impressive feat like, like the Red Sea parting or that pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Maybe we've even asked for God, give me some sign. Give me some big, impressive sign so that I know that you're here. But today we see God is found in the hush. God is found in the stillness. It's a reminder to me that God can come in whatever way God wants to. God's not limited in the way God can show up for us. God's presence can be known in so many different ways, in music, in preaching, in a friend's word. God can be made real and present to us in a sunset, in a good book, as we look out over the ocean. God can be made real and made present to us in a moment when we're rescued from danger, in a moment when we have a release of tears, in a moment that an unexpected gift comes at just the right time. God can be made real and present to us in earnest prayer, in moments of wandering, in sudden insight we get into a problem, and God's presence can be made clear to us in beautiful moments of quiet and stillness and silence. 
And how I experience God's presence, how your neighbor experienced God's presence, may not be the same as the way that you do. See, I, I can't give a blueprint for the way that you're going to see and know God, because God's endlessly creative in being present to us. That said, I do still think that God often uses silence to meet us. I have experienced that in my own life over and over again, but I am also aware that silence is a vanishing commodity in our world and in our lives. I don't just mean the kind of silence when we aren't making noise, when we aren't talking. I mean the kind of silence when we aren't consuming anything. Like we're not in conversation, we're not texting anyone, we're not reading social media, we're not engaged with anyone besides ourselves and God. When was the last time that you had five or ten minutes where you weren't consuming or in conversation in some way with, your, with someone or with your phone? That kind of silence for the soul is impossible to experience today unless we search it, search out for it, and unless we practice it. The story of Elijah, it reminds us that God is present in silence, and, and I believe there are some things that God can only communicate to us by silence. Some moments in life when the earthquake or the fire can't contain what it is we need to hear. A moment when God's saving word for us can't come through preaching or teaching or singing. Moments when God wants to be present to us in a way that, that makes the very hair on our arms stand up on end. I bet you can guess what my challenge is going to be for you this week. Silence like silent meditation. And if you've never done it, just trust me, it's not going to be easy the first time or the first 10 times. <laughs> silence is the kind of spiritual practice that has to be practiced. But I really want to encourage you to try it. Find yourself a moment when you can be quiet and you can be in quiet and you can sit and you can pray. And if right now you're saying, Pastor Amy, I don't know where in the world I would find that kind of quiet. I want to say, friend, you need to find it. We all need to have moments where we can just be still. So find a moment when you can sit in the quiet and pray and clear your mind of whatever thoughts run into your head. Just let them float right back out. Try to stay open and aware and see what kind of insight God has to bring you. It may be nothing more than five minutes of deep breathing and grounding yourself in the presence of God. That would be a good thing to do today and tomorrow, every day. The goodness of God is ever near to us. We just have to have eyes open to see it. There is not one way to describe it or expect it, but God is here, God is near. God is with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.